0: That reading was probably longer than we usually have, but it's kind of a reminder that the Bible doesn't really come to us in sound bites or tweets, you know, tweet sized <laughs> texts, but it comes to us in longer stories, and that's actually one of the longest the longest actual continual stories in the whole Bible. Let us pray. Gracious God where There are places in our hearts and our souls that are dead. We pray that you fill them with new life. Like Lazarus, unbind us from the fetters of the things that hold sway over our lives so we can trust in you and live life to its full. Amen. Most of you know this already, but I wasn't raised in the church. I grew up in a more or less secular household, and I came to faith in my early 20s, meaning that it was just over a decade ago, and yet somehow you still let me drive the bus, and I'm very grateful for that. (laughs) Um, He's a 12-year-old Christian, here's the keys. Um, But my journey of faith was a gradual one, even after coming to church. I felt perhaps like there was something like a God, but I was suspicious of many, if not most of the other things associated with Christianity. From the beginning, one of my biggest struggles was with this idea of belief. Christianity has always been centered on belief. We say a creed every Sunday, and the key to each creed is the phrase, I, or we, believe. For me, this was always a struggle. First, because Christian beliefs didn't seem to square with the world as I understood it at the time. A solely material world with little room for the spiritual, the supernatural, or the miraculous. But the second thing for me at the time was more significant. I could look around my life and see plenty of people who were not Christian plenty of people who didn't go to church, and they were out there doing good in the world. In contrast, there were also Christians who believed things very deeply that seemed to be unkind, uncharitable, or even outright hostile to others who didn't share those beliefs it seemed unfair to me that non-believers who had lived lives of deep goodness would end up burning in hell for eternity while believers who were jerks or worse, sometimes infinitely worse than jerks, somehow got into heaven because they held all the right beliefs or ideas. I had trouble with faith because beliefs seemed to be exclusionary, divisive, because they seemed to get in the way of actually doing good in the world, because everyone was focused on getting their ideas right. That ideas about God seemed to matter more than how people acted, and that just didn't seem right to me. That was the biggest obstacle for me before coming to faith. Gradually, though, I've come to realize that the problem with faith wasn't belief itself, but it's what belief itself means and where it leads us. Belief was presented to me as intellectually affirming a list of ideas, a yes or no questionnaire about God that you'd have to answer on your deathbed, or that was it, and if I believed in those particular ideas, then I would be guaranteed a place in the afterlife. But now I've actually come to realize that the reason why it didn't grab me is because it's not the full definition of belief in the Christian tradition. Now, don't get me wrong. I think uh, particular beliefs are important, and if you ask me to recite the Apostles' Creed, I won't be crossing my fingers behind my back. I'll sign a piece of paper if you want to. Yes, I do believe, yes. But over a time, I've discovered that it's more than that, and it 's better than that too this morning from the morning 's reading from the good news, according to John, is a prime example of how we 're to properly understand the meaning of belief. The story is more or less simple. A man named Lazarus is sick. I was saying earlier, oh, I feel like a little like Lazarus today. Um, his sister 's Mary. And Martha, who we met a few weeks ago, they send for Jesus, hoping there's something that he can do. Jesus takes his time. I mean, like, if he was the pastor of a church, people would just be, where is this guy? You know, please, rec- please record the account of your, your, uh, of your location for the past few days. It takes him two days to get moving, and when he finally gets there, his disciples in tow, Lazarus has been dead for four days In the tomb, Mary and Martha are weeping, they're angry at Jesus, and each of them in turn says that he could have done something if he was there, which is probably true, considering Jesus has turned water into wine, turned a few loaves of bread into bread for 5,000, and cured a man born blind. He could have done something, but instead Jesus took his time, and in the meantime, Lazarus. Died. It looks like Jesus purposely dropped the ball here. He could have done something, but he didn't. So their grief, their confusion, and anger are completely understandable. It's all understandable according to John. But according to John, it actually misses the point. In John, Jesus isn't there just to feed, heal, or cure, even though that's what he does. His mission is even bigger than that. These things are signs, like signs they point towards something else. These signs point to God and to God's power for life. Your brother will rise again, says Jesus to Martha. I know that, she says. I know he'll rise in the resurrection on the last day. She thinks that Jesus is trying to console her, with the promise of a future resurrection, life after death, which, speaking as a pastor, I know rarely actually takes away the sting of sorrow. But Jesus is doing no such thing. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me, will never die. So what Jesus says seems to add a bit to the confusion, but if you flip to chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, you don't literally have to, that will take you a little while, but you'll find a clue to what this all means. At the end of John's Gospel it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing him, you may have life in his name. So everything that Jesus does in John, every feeding, every healing, every act of power Jesus does, isn't to just demonstrate that miracles are possible, but he does so to draw others into belief. This act of power by Jesus is done for the sake of inspiring belief. Now, let's actually get to belief itself. Notice what Jesus says first about belief. Those who believe in me, he says. Jesus doesn't say, if you can sign a list of beliefs about me, you'll receive eternal life. But those who believe in me. In me. Jesus himself. I'm reminded of a biblical scholar who, once, who was once asked if he believes in Jesus, and he said, absolutely. But then he clarified But to say, I believe in someone, doesn't mean I just believe in ideas about them. When I say, I believe in Barack Obama, for example, it doesn't mean I believe in facts about him, whether he exists, or that he was born in Hawaii, or as some believe, Kenya. (laughs) But it means I'm throwing my lot in with him, because I trust him with our future. Now, regardless of what we might think about Barack Obama or his ability to keep his promises, it's an important distinction to make. When Jesus says, believe in me, it doesn't mean just facts about him, it means believing in Jesus himself, throwing our lot in with him, trusting our lives with him and our future, going where he leads us. And Jesus doesn't lead just to nice places in the Gospel of John. The reading actually cuts off the next part where it says Jesus raised Lazarus and then the authorities wanted to kill him. Jesus can lead to difficult places. Jesus says, Take up your cross. Jesus says, Love your enemies. Jesus says, "Uh, You know, forgiving somebody once is enough. Seven times, you know, seven times 70. Jesus draws into a whole life. Trusting Jesus with our future means going where he goes. I believe in Jesus means I will follow him wherever he takes me. Now, second, notice what Jesus says about resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. He doesn't discount life after death. That part is a given. But he also doesn't say, I will be the resurrection and the life. One day. Instead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And to show it, he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. Come out, he shouts. And Lazarus, covered in bandages, hops forward, emerging from the tomb, raised from death. Unbind him and let him go, Jesus says. Jesus raises Lazarus not as proof of life after death, but as God's power setting down here and now. Life in life, life before death. And it says. Those who gathered saw what Jesus did and believed in him. In the end, Jesus raises Lazarus to kindle trust and belief in himself. And going where he goes leads to life. Life eternal, life abundant for those who believe in him, for those who bet their lives on him it'll change them. They will die, but before they die, they will know eternal life. So the raising of Lazarus is, in the end, a demonstration, sort of a test firing of the life that is available to them all, and to us all. That in believing in Jesus, trusting him, Throwing our lot in with Him, we're giving access, we're able to experience eternal life, abundant life, life in communion with God through the Spirit here and now. Here and now. That eternal life here and now. Belief isn't a list of facts, it isn't just to prepare for eternity. Not just life after death, but an invitation to life before death. An invitation to a transformative relationship. One in communion with God. One where we can experience life before death here and now. I'm reminded of the great American naturalist Henry David Thoreau, who once said that he wished to learn everything that life has to teach And not, when it came to die, discovered that he had not lived. And this is Jesus' invitation to all of us who gather today. For those of us who are longtime disciples, it's an invitation to rekindle our trust more deeply, to go where Jesus goes. I mean, Jesus goes to the tomb. Jesus goes to the places where people are broken and people are hurting. That's where Jesus says the eternal life is. That's where it will be found. And for those of us who are like me, or at least like I was, still unsure about the details part of faith, it represents an invitation to take the first step in walking in his way. If you can't buy into the stuff about Jesus, I'm sure you can buy in to Jesus himself. And you can join him at the tomb where all things are being made new. Belief is about trust. Christianity is not a belief in facts about Jesus, but it's a belief in Jesus himself. And that where he leads, he leads us to life. Life at its full. Life that will last and never end. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen.